does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Not going to have enough because they're the hairpin on the last lap, and here comes off the corner Will Power and Pagano. And Power is saying, penalty? What penalty? I don't need a penalty. I start 12th and win the 38th Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. Whoa. Down the back stretch they go for the last time down Seaside Way. Problem. Boxworth is very off the pace right here. Into turn nine and ten. The final time through the hairpin. Will this come into play? Look at Dixon right on the back bumper of the 22. Right on the back wing. Can he make it happen? Simon Pagano trying to hold on. Pagano's going to win at Long Beach. Hey there, welcome. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Highlights from previous events coming up. This weekend, the formerly Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. Now the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. One of the big ones. Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, right here on the radio with IndyCar Radio and on NBC. And Peacock, hello, welcome. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Eddie Garrison is in our Indianapolis studios. A lot to get into tonight. We still have more to uncover from Texas I'm still trying to figure out pit lane procedures, and I'm not sure uh, that I'm any more illuminated, but we will do our best on that moving forward uh, and, and some other things to get into tonight on the show. And also we'll look at some of the things coming up in Indianapolis, not all, all, only the Indianapolis 500, but the Hoosier 100 is back, and it's at a new venue. It's at uh, Raceway Park, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, the weekend after next. And the young man who won the Chili Bowl this year, Logan Seavey, will be on the show with us. He'll be one of those racing coming up on Sunday the 23rd. Kurt, how are you? Well, I'm I'm pretty good. We have had a tough week. I uh, lost my mother-in-law this uh, this week. And so this coming on the heels of, of losing my father just a few months ago. So not been a good uh, stretch of time for the... Uh, for the parents, uh, but it, so if I'm off my game just a little bit today, you'll understand why. But you know this this show uh, always each week, my you know friends and family listen pretty regularly as yours do, and so in, in honor of Jane Walls, this this show is for her. Actually, I'm not sure that anyone in my family <laughs> does listen. So <laughs> my my race fans. The, the race fans are our family in this case, because uh, often they don't know where I'm at or what I'm doing. Uh, or if they're in the house, they've already heard the show, so they don't really need to listen. It's mostly when is dad going to shut up so we can run the dishwasher and do other normal things like that. Uh, OK, let's talk about Long Beach first. People hear us always talk about an IndyCar drivers and those that go there rave about this event that next to the Indy 500, this might be the big one. Why? Well, it starts with the fact, and if you're driving around Indianapolis as we speak, or you've been in central Indiana here the last, I don't know, 36 hours, you would understand that there's a there's a Christmas crisp 
brightness in the air. The sun is shining. It's it's just pleasant to be outside. And when you get to Long Beach, it seems like every day is like that. Let's start with just the weather. Mm-hmm. It is Southern California in the spring. People are, you know, and they've been dealing with a lot of rain in Southern California this this particular year. But it's just a, a refreshing, especially if you're coming from outside the market, you start with the weather. It's just beautiful. And it feels like every day is like today in Indianapolis, blue skies, a light breeze, very little humidity, and you just have an energy that you start with the weather. Second of all, there is there is a eclectic group of people that, that attend, and I mean that from the standpoint, some people are there to watch the cars, some people are there to listen to the bands, some people are listening to buy the elephant ears and the food that, that's that's available. And mostly it's just a car culture of people, people who know what they're looking at when they see a car, whether it's a a show car or a race car. Uh, You know, it it really is unlike any other from this standpoint. It's an event. It has something for everybody. And the people just are genuinely engaged in the event. They know what's happening, whether it's on the racetrack or in the in the uh, midway area. So the midway area is exceptional. The racing is cool. The weather is always terrific. It's never rained. I'll jinx them, but it's never rained on race day in in Long Beach. So it's just you add all those things together. It has a feel kind of like what we see in, in Formula One street races that everybody is excited to be there. And it may not always be for the cars on track, but there's something for everybody. Well, in the history of the event, too, the the fact that this event has been going on uh, since the mid-70s, that adds to it. Same location. The track has changed a little bit from year to year. And I think you always feel better about being somewhere if you're involved in the sport and, and people here, those of us involved in the sport, but that the fans are involved in the sport. And if you're a fan that regularly goes, you feel like you are a stakeholder as well. And you just feel better when you're somewhere where it feels like a big deal, that it's not, uh, unfortunately, like a, a couple of weeks ago, an event with four or five thousand people. Maybe it's 10,000. I don't know, whatever it is, but it just seems like a big deal. And then the other thing I would say, too, from the motorsports industry standpoint, why a lot of people look forward to it, and I think it adds to it, is that it's a doubleheader with IMSA. And... For those, this doesn't necessarily apply to fans, but for those working in the industry, why they look forward to it is sometimes it's the only time in a year. Yes, Detroit is usually another opportunity, too, but that race hasn't been there for as long. But it's a chance to catch up with people that have moved to the other paddock. That's mechanics, that's drivers, that's journalists, that's public relations people, so many people that work in IMSA, worked in IndyCar, and vice versa, and and some work in both. So it's it's a bit of a reunion with everybody involved, and that unfortunately doesn't happen as much as a lot of us would like it to happen. Uh, so it's up there. Is it number two? It's debatable. You know, in, in some ways, I do love Long Beach, but I don't know if I can rate it higher than St. Petersburg. Because St. Petersburg has some of those same things that you talked about with the weather. And by the way, the weather is actually nicer in Indianapolis 
right now than it might be in Long Beach. It's going to be chillier in Long Beach. It is perfect. It's like Southern California in Indianapolis right now. So uh, things tend to be getting warmer over the last year or so, it certainly seems, with a very mild winter. So we don't have that as much, but St. Pete always applies. You're going normally from cold to warm, and it's the first race of the year. So I think you could make an argument for that one. And maybe there's some others on the schedule, too, that you could say could challenge for number two. Well, I, I have all great respect for what what uh, the guys and, and gals in, in St. Petersburg have done. No question about it. But I think Long Beach is number number two. The other thing is because, you know, in addition to the MCARs, there are seven types of sanctioning bodies involved with this weekend. There is cars and trucks, the jumpy trucks. Jumpy there trucks. are trucks. There are there are vehicles moving at all times. And you are right down the road from Honda's uh US facility and their and their uh headquarters. And it's just a car culture. It's different than St. Pete. Those are those are IndyCar race fans in St. Petersburg. Bless their hearts. But this is a car culture in Southern California that you don't have anywhere else really in the United States where you can just walk around and, and they have, you know, the whole convention center and, and the arena uh, there on the property. You know, they have they have all kinds of of displays That's a big event in the convention center. It's a big exactly. event in itself. And it's all car passenger car, uh, muscle car related. So it, it has a different kind of feel uh, than even St. Petersburg. And, and you think about the Midway. I mean, the Midway, you, you kind of referred to it, but St. Petersburg doesn't have that. It doesn't give you all the options to look at things, the concerts that are going on at the entrance to the Long Beach facility. Uh, if you take the event as a whole, I don't know how you can beat Long Beach. Honestly, there are aspects of Long Beach that Indy at Indianapolis Motor Speedway would like to have, you know, just the other things to do other than the racing itself. And, you know, you mentioned the history back to 75. That's That was a Formula One history to 1984 with Indy cars. So, you know, you, you add all those things up, and it, it really is, you know, don't, you, you wouldn't put it ahead of the month of May but by any stretch. But after that, I think Long Beach is it. It's going to be tough to get the beach in Indianapolis that they have there. The Queen Mary is not going to fit, although, well, maybe actually probably would fit. The property is pretty big. No, I don't think there is any argument that it's the number two event. My my point was as to the one next to the Indy 500 that I look forward to the most, and maybe other fans do, and that would be the difference. You know, the offseason seems so long that we're... We're so excited about St. Petersburg because it's the first one. Then you still add in some other things. But yes, you add in the history of Long Beach and all the other things we've talked about. That's why it's there. Uh, St. Petersburg is getting there in history. You know, we're going on 20 years now, 20 years that this event next year consecutively will have been run. So, uh, yeah, that's right. We did not, not miss a year. We had to wait back to the fall, right? They got it in. Yeah, they, they got did it in miss- a COVID year. They did miss one in Long Beach. They missed 2020 yes, they in Long Beach. So, yes. but you know, is there anything else that that ranks? You know, some years the championship. Um, yeah, I, I would give you the championship depending on on where it is, but but uh, in terms of competitiveness. But it, again, it's the auxiliary events, and it's 
you know, we think about the stars that show up at the Indy 500. You can walk around Long Beach and the reverence for guys like Dan Gurney and Parnelli Jones. You can still feel that because, you know, it's such a car culture in Southern California. So it it really is. It really and their walk of fame, which Thursday will induct uh, James Hinchcliffe and Ryan Hunter Ray. You know, just the history there. Even though IndyCars have raced at Mid-Ohio for almost as long, they've raced at Texas as many times almost. Uh, and I think there there might be another one where, uh, I mean, Toronto's been been on the schedule a really long time. But, but Long Beach is, you know, it's an event unlike any other. People always ask us, uh, why do street races do much so much better than ovals? Everyone talks about how much they love ovals. So we can discuss that there. And here, here's one thing. There are a lot of different things. If you're a fan and you want to see people, if you want to see drivers, m- maybe away from IndyCar has great access. A few other motorsports entities do as well, where you can see them in the paddock, but they're hustling from one place to another. And there's uh, going to be soon a crowd around them. But if you just want to bump into someone, a street event, gives you a better chance of that happening. If you get a hotel in the Long Beach area, and I think this somewhat applies to St. Pete as well. Help me as I'm talking, what else I'm missing, what other events are like that. But as we never drive the rental car there. One, it's hard to park. It's hard to park in the paddock. Uh, We just basically walk everywhere we're going, including to dinner every night, and we will always bump into multiple drivers, multiple former drivers, personalities, team owners, you're going to see people there. And that's one of the things that a street event does. So that's not the reason why they're more successful, but it's one more reason. As I always talk about, I want to have more than one reason to spend the money and go to a trip. And there's, there's unfortunately just more to do at street races than there are at ovals right now, which is a work in progress. I think we'll see a similar type of atmosphere now, atmosphere may not be the right word, but I think we'll see the same kind of configuration at the new Detroit circuit because it is right, right downtown. Yep. The hotels are close. The little tram in downtown Detroit can carry people around the little loop that it makes. It's about a mile loop, and it takes you to various stops around the city. And so you're going to see people in that atmosphere. Now, I suspect that the the Renaissance Center, which has a a Marriott hotel in it, is going to be where most of the drivers stay, which may keep them a little more confined than, say, walking to Ford Field, which is on the opposite side of the downtown area. But but your point is still well taken that with hotels, with restaurants, all within not just walking distance, but like blocks, you know, a few blocks and you can be at multiple restaurants, especially down there closer to uh, maybe not exactly the fountain, but in that fountain area at Long Beach, uh, there there's just a lot to do down at that end of the racetrack. And you're going to see people. You're right. You walk around and and uh, rental cars aren't necessary. You can literally take your your uh, your Uber from the from the airport and you can be in the event for three or four straight days. I think the difference with a lot of people is a lot of our race fans that that follow IndyCar are more Midwestern-based, and they will go to St. Pete because that's a nice spring break event. The difference is it's a little more challenging to get to Long Beach, uh, and yeah. it doesn't come at the right time of the year. So when you're 
at the event, you're probably less likely to see uh, a lot of people who are are Midwestern based. So it's more of a Southern California uh, fan base. But I it know is you expensive do too. You got it you, you got to get your hotel way in advance, and there's no cancellation, so you got to make up your mind uh, if you want to stay anywhere near walking distance. It's a small footprint too, which you know Detroit's a big city, so there are a lot of different places within three or four miles. Uh, but most everyone stays in about five or six hotels in, right. in Long Beach where you're going to bump into people. So that's cool. Can't wait for it this weekend. IMSA on USA on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 o'clock local time. So 5 o'clock on Saturday on IMSA. Uh, IndyCar will have practice on Peacock late Friday afternoon. What, almost Friday evening, our time. Is that 6 p.m.? When yes. the first practice is 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 o'clock local on Friday, and then uh, the qualifying on Saturday, and the race itself starting. You may have this. I don't know what time I the do green have, flag is. I do. Let me give you a couple of them. On Saturday, there's a morning practice at 1145 Eastern, followed by qualifying at 3 o'clock on Peacock, and then a morning warm-up Sunday at noon Eastern, again on Peacock, and then comes back with the race uh, you'll come on the broadcast at three o'clock with green flag at about three forty-five. So you've got some oh, time long, to fill. Long pre-race, okay. long pre-race, eighty-five right. laps. Okay, uh, so let let's get into. Oh, and the other thing I'll mention as far as people that are going the the band this year. I, I looked this up, and you may not know the name of the band Kings of Chaos. I think they've played there a few times, but it's it's a lot of people who have been successful in other bands. So Didn't it's sort of an all-star indie? type of band. Didn't they play indie like two years ago? Maybe. I know they've played somewhere. I think they played Long Beach either last year or the year before. But it, it was started by the the one of the guys that started, the drummer from the Cults and Guns N' Roses named Matt Sorum. Uh, there's a guy from Slipknot and Stone Sour, Hailstorm, Sublime, Corey Glover and Vernon Reed from Living Color. Billy Duffy from the cult, Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses, and, and a bunch of other people like that. So I'm going to guess you have a lot of covers from different things. And that's Saturday evening, usually around 645, really close to the track. Let's get on to the racetrack. What do we expect this weekend? Well, if I ask you, since unification, which which race team has been the more dominant of them? You'd be inclined to say Team Penske, or you might even say Chip Ganassi Racing, but it's been Andretti Autosport. Well, I would won... have said Andretti there, yeah, yeah. They've won three of the four. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't have said that, but 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 a lot of people would not have guessed Andretti. True, uh, it's always a good guess to go Penske get Ganassi. Yes. By the way, let's just let's backtrack here for a second. Kings of Chaos played at Indy in 2022. That was last year. <laughs> so when did they play on they... Carb Day? I think they played on on Carb Day with Rick Springfield, so that was okay. last year. Anyway, our our memory is is going quick. Well, but, I, I have a, I have a tactic to make sure I'm always gone before that concert starts, so I am I am not included in that. Yeah, I understand. So Andretti's won five times there since unification with four different drivers: Mike Conway, Ryan Hunter Ray, Alexander Rossi, and Colton Herta with three of those here in the last four years. So with Rossi and excuse me, three in the last four trips, because as mentioned, we didn't, we didn't go in 2020, but um, 
Rossi and Colton Herta figure to be good, even as Rossi transitions to Arrow McLaren. I think that'll be a good combination. Pato Award's been really good to start the season with a pair of second-place finishes and and honestly could have won uh, either of those two races, let alone both. And, of course, you have to figure, and this is my pick, is Joseph Newgarden again. I think he's going to be, you know, again right there in the thick of it. He won the pole two years ago, won last year's race, and obviously is coming off the high of of winning Texas. So I think between the – the the Andretti guys, Roman Grosjean finished second last year at, at Long Beach, Colton Herta being good, Rossi at Aero McLaren, Pato at Aero McLaren. There's four drivers, and you add in certainly Joseph Newgarden. I think those five, I think your winner probably comes from one of those five, but you know, we'll have to see. How strong of a chance do we give Grosjean? Uh, and he's one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight. You know, coming into the season, it was pointed out that this is a big year for Grosjean. It's a contract year. He really needs results, and he has no results so far. So the argument could be made, uh-oh, he's in trouble. I think I would argue the other side of that because he's had pace. He's been in the mix. He's getting camera time for DHL. Uh, so, yes, you do need a result at some point, but I feel like Grosjean, what he's done in the first two races, in some ways, is better than finishing seventh and eighth or fifth and ninth or whatever, because he has shown that they are capable of winning races. And now it appears to be a matter of when, not if. Well, I wasn't sure where you were going with the the conversation, and I was a little bit getting my my dander up thinking about, you know, Grosjean didn't get a result at St. Pete, but it wasn't for a lack of of anything he did. I mean, he's he, he gets taken out in turn four by Scott McLaughlin racing for the lead late in the race. He's on the pole. He started on the pole. You know, he looked really good at at uh, Texas. He led the race in the in the final fifty laps. He was running as high as you know. He's battling for fourth place in a pack of bees, basically. You know, as we go to the final stages of the race, yeah, he made contact with with David Malukas. I can't put that on Roman. I can't put it on David Malukas. I that's just racing and tight racing. They just barely touched. So I think Roman's had a really strong start to the year, to yep. your point. And I think I think you bailed out of it pretty well by saying, you know, it's better than finishing seventh and eighth because he has really been one of the key conversation points in both races. He's going for the lead mm-hmm. at St. Pete, and he's had the lead, you know, deep in the Texas race while making contact, granted, but he's had two really good races. I think he'll race really well because he's he's shown well on these street circuits. I think of Nashville. I think of Long Beach. And I think he'll race well, and Andretti's raced well. I don't know if he can win it, but if I think if he's a top-five car in qualifying in the race, I think that'll be another successful weekend for him. Yeah, I think he's done what he needs to do this year and the team has shown what they needed to show they've obviously made a step forward and they were already good on these street races you know we mentioned that he finished second last year colton herta may not have won the race they they so he he dominated the first stretch 
and then lost the lead in the pit exchange, in part because uh, he lost some time going into pit lane on the first stop because he forgot where he was pitted and started to drive into the wrong pit box and lost a few tenths there. Penske stop is a little better. New Garden ends up in front. And then eventually later on, Colton crashes the car. So one of those where he's pushing a little bit too much. How much has he learned from that? But that car was fast. Rossi was pretty good last year. I'm trying to remember. He had some sort of a mechanical, I think, later on that impacted his pace in his result. But they're good. You know the Penske's and Ganassi's are going to be good. Uh, who else? Arrow McLaren? Anybody else? Because I, I think we're pretty convinced. So from talking to them, though, that was their biggest concern was street races. That's where they were just okay last year. And at St. Pete this year, they were okay in qualifying. Right? Where did Pato start? And we obviously know that he was good enough to win the race with a little bit of attrition. I'll find that here in, in just a second. But Pato started third at St. Pete. He started so he started up front. Um so I feel like they've made some progress in that regard. And I have to feel they're gonna be there. Who's kind of the best of the rest? Well, difficult to say because there's a lot of those in the rest of the good. <laughs> so the goods are going to be pretty, pretty good. I tell you, uh, Graham Rahal raced well there last year, drove up to seventh. Of course, that's kind of the story of his, uh, his time in this sport lately is to, to qualify in the, in the middle or to the back and then to race pretty well. Uh, actually the, the Meyer shank cars weren't bad last year. So that would be another one I'd, I'd keep an eye on, particularly on these, you know, the, as we look at the next couple, three races, GMR Grand Prix, Pagano was really good last year. Elio was in the top seven or eight at uh, Long Beach last year. So they need, they need a result. You talk about, you know, Grosjean needing a result, the Meyer shank fellows, they, they, they need a result in the worst way. Uh, you know, because Jack Harvey, he ran well for the for Meyer Shank two years ago at, at Long Beach as well. Again, had a top seven or eight car. So I think that might be a team if you're looking for a best of the rest. It's been a while since Ed Carpenter racing won a race, and that was that was Mike Conway. And Mike Conway has proved over and over that he's an excellent street course racer. Uh, but but you might just Keep an eye on a on a good finish from, or at least some some fireworks from Renus VK. That might be another dark horse for the for the group. All right, we'll get into more of what we expect will happen this weekend at Long Beach, and a lot of other things to talk about. There's testing next week at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We'll detail that more from Texas. There was a test the day after the race. By the way, I can confirm I have not uh, seen this out there publicly, but I asked permission to say this and we will air the test at ims in the 20th and 21st on peacock so that will be coming your way uh i think it's everybody in the morning and then there is a veteran time for a little while here i got it in front of me but it's most of both days friday i think is more similar from 10 to 4 and then thursday is 11 to 1 veterans 1 to 3 rookies and refreshers 3 to 6 everyone obviously always subject to change 
as far as weather and things like that. But that is the plan. And we will be on Peacock from 11 until 6 on Thursday and 10 until 4 on Friday. Yep, it'll be good. I'm I'm looking forward to next week. And, of course, uh, we've we've now hit the official stretch because we'll run Long Beach, then we'll do the open test, and we'll go to Barber. And the next thing you know, it'll be the month of May. All right. We'll get into more from Texas and some other items that we need to get into coming up. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power. And you- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to Trackside. All right, still a lot to cover tonight on the program as IndyCar heads to Long Beach this weekend. And then it's time for activity at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Not full on, so it's not fully the month of May starting next week on Thursday and Friday with testing. uh, Because luckily, we get a couple of more road course races before that. Barber, the last weekend of the month in Birmingham, Alabama. And then the GMR Grand Prix, the second weekend of April. So that would be the... Friday and Saturday, the 12th and 13th of May. I think I just said April, but the second weekend of May coming up, May 12th and 13th. Uh, Before we talk more, looking back at Texas, because I think there are a lot of things we didn't really get to from last week. Uh, You mentioned something in the break. Hey, we might want to keep an eye on Kyle Kirkwood again. I think in general, we should keep an eye on Kyle Kirkwood because he's good. Cars are good. But he was pretty good there last year in the Foyt car. Yeah, he ran in the top 10 at, at uh, Long Beach last year. And if, again, the Andretti cars are good, which they should be, and if, uh, you know, that uh, that car last year was, was really competitive with Rossi. And so it just stands to reason. Kyle Kirkwood's going to start having one of those great weekends before too long where he completes the deal. Maybe not wins the race, but... But you and I both were talking during the offseason that that he could be a race winner in 2023, and it wouldn't surprise us. Well, if that's going to happen, Long Beach is a really good place for that to happen based on all the variables we've discussed. Let's go back to Texas, some things we did not get to last week. Um, and it's kind of out there in the open now, so I guess we'll explain what we know about this, that um, – This is an off-the-track thing that maybe people are interested in. Maybe they're annoyed with. I kind of enjoy it. The word game with the drivers to see what uh, unique words they can get in on interviews. So I became uh, quite aware. I was front and center for the first of it. When Colton Herta threw out kerfuffled at me during a practice show, and my first thought was, oh, that's good. I've actually used kerfuffle before but then he came back with bamboozled and useless as a gum on a boot heel and 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 i didn't say anything on the show about that because here was my thinking he was the only one doing it at the time and i didn't want to call him out because it actually was making my job easier we go to these guys a lot for interviews sometimes when they'd really rather debrief quickly with their engineer or they have a meeting, or they want to go to lunch. But now in this case, because they obviously have a contest going on to see who can get through their list of words, they now want to be interviewed. And people that otherwise don't want to be bothered, and I'm not going to say they don't want to be bothered, they all understand it, but there are some times where it's just, okay, yeah, I got to do it. Now it's, 
please, will you guys come and interview me so I can get my word in? So the first interview, I go over and I ask Colton, hey, can we talk? And he said, give me 30 seconds. And I thought, oh, okay. What's he, what's he got going on? Oh, he just wants to get a hat on. No, he's going to his phone to go look at his notes so he can get words in. So that's cheating a little bit. Uh, so I asked Rossi uh, at the end of the weekend, I said, are you in on this? And he said, what? He had no idea what it was. And I, I saw he he was quoted last week. Uh, Nathan Brown of the Star posted this, said he was not invited into the word game. And I'm pretty offended, actually. It's getting a little out of control. So nobody else participated that I noticed at St. Pete. But we got, what, McLaughlin and Newgarden playing along, mostly in the Peacock shows uh, at Texas, with something like, who licked the red off your candy, like putting socks on a rooster, lollygagging, uh, and so forth. And Nathan Brown is among those that w- was documenting that. So it's kind of out there in the open now. How much longer does this continue? And I would say this, I'm for it. I don't know that I really want to see this on the race broadcast on NBC, but all in fun is my opinion on Peacock. I agree with that. Uh, I agree with the all in fun on Peacock uh part of that statement i actually you know this has been a thing maybe not a game but nascar has been pretty famous for having guys say things that are a little bit you know maybe it's the southern draw sometimes they would say they would have uh you know sayings that i wasn't used to saying but i would hear them on the nascar broadcast so it wasn't unusual at first but i think and and I would say this, I'm going to tie it to uh, my good friend, uh, Brian Simpson. I think he may be, I haven't asked him, but but he he works with Joseph. He works on the Bus Brothers production. He films all that. He's he's um, he's tight with a lot of these guys. And so and I'm going to guess creative. that he's very creative. And I think he's done this to kind of help, help kind of give some interest to the guys in their interviews and to the fan base. And I think it's all, it's all well and good. I think you want to be careful about carrying it too far that you become annoying, but they aren't there yet. The other thing I would say is I kind of hate for somebody like, you know, those of us that are close enough and maybe in the media, I don't want us to say something to them because then the guys are going to go the other direction. They'll just give you short answers because, oh, you didn't want to hear my my fun. I'm just going to give you something dry and quick and and you got to fill the dead air. So yeah. I don't I don't really want to see that. But hopefully this just kind of naturally runs its course. And uh, on the peacock, it's fine. And and that's why I didn't say anything after St. Pete. I was not going to be the one to blow their cover, but it became so obvious at Texas that they had something going on and people figured it out and they've all admitted to it at this point. So it, it's all, Hey, we need things to kind of liven up the day. And if it, and it does make the interviews more fun uh, because we are asking the same question all the time. So that's good. It, it shows Colton Herta's personality because he can come across as a little bit stoic and dry, but he's a funny guy. He's a, a funny young guy who is creative and is coming out of his shell a little bit and will more and more the older and the more successful he gets. So good for it. Maybe and and part of the reason it doesn't make as much sense on NBC is we don't have time to explain what they're doing. And people that only see that part of it 
and hopefully some new fans might think, uh, well, that's a little bit odd. That doesn't really fit into there. What What is this guy thinking? Uh, but in our shows on Peacock, everybody gets it. Everybody's watching Peacock. They're in on the game, I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's nice that they've they've kind of taken the time to think of some words and and yeah. might might stay with the conversation a little bit longer. And and to to your point about Colton Herta and being being fun and lively, and I tell you, ex- with the exception maybe of Will Power. There's no one when I see him pop up on the screen for an interview that I'm more eager to listen to than Colton Herta because you're just going to get what you th- what he thinks. Uh, he will explain himself or not, but you can read his emotions by the broadcast. And you know the same is true of Power. There are other guys that eh, maybe it's not as interesting, but Herta and Power in particular always grab my attention. Uh, all right, go back to the racing itself in Texas. It's been a week and a half, and I think we're still buzzing a little bit about the activity. And uh, our comments from last week, I think, still stand. And from reading more and hearing more from the drivers, and I listened to the Hinch and Rossi podcast this week, and I was uh, encouraged that Alexander Rossi is another one of those. will tell you exactly what he thinks. And he said, I thought the package was perfect. Don't you don't have to add anymore. You don't have to take anything away. It wasn't too much of a pack race. It was a really good entertaining race. And this was said by a guy who ran the entire race six and seven laps down, or at least the, the final three fourths of it, and still found the race exhilarating. So again, kudos. Well done. Fantastic. We've got it. And then there's this. And Nate Ryan wrote about it at NBCSports.com. Why can't we just have nice things? It might be the last year that the track is like this. They may blow it all up again. A year ago at this time, or certainly 13 months ago, the general prevailing feeling was, I hope they blow it up because it's broken. The PJ1 has made it unusable for IndyCar, and that race is going to die, the IndyCar race, unless something happens. Well, it turns out that the IndyCar people really got it figured out perfectly, and the track has gotten better the the longer time they go without applying that substance again it's been better and i think the second groove practice helped as well but the essence of nate's story which is uh has been kind of out there so the indycar race hasn't been great the nascar race has been well less than stellar as well and that's a real big problem uh, and PJ1, no PJ1, whatever. It hasn't worked since they reconfigured the track, and they are openly considering doing something drastic and either a, a reprofiling again like they did the last time, maybe even doing something like they've considered doing at Fontana and making it not a mile and a half anymore. Um. So, you know, I think I saw Will Power saying, you know, if they make a change, then we're ruined. I wouldn't go that far. It just means you have to start all over and work to figure out what that balance is. So root for a good NASCAR race this fall. That's what we're thinking. If the NASCAR race, they can do something to help that product, then they will leave it alone and we can come back with the exact same package next year. Uh, And by the way, to make that work, you probably got to have similar conditions. So it needs to be run you know, somewhere in the the cool area. 
Yeah, I think the cool area was a was a cool factor in this one. I thought that, you know, it's always the racing always got better at Texas in the nighttime when the temperatures had dropped from the summer heat. So so the the grip levels were always better. That allowed for more of a second and third lane in some places. Uh, But it was always better. I agree with you uh, that the NASCAR race will go a long way to determining the future of of the layout. Honestly, though, I I have a hard, a difficult time coming up with a configuration other than maybe a slight modification, but I don't know how you lessen it from a mile and a half. I mean, just with the grandstands and with the suites and the things. It's that, expensive. Yeah, I think that's a huge expense for, for not a huge uh, return on investment. So I, I guess I'd be surprised, but I started to read Nate's story because I thought it looked interesting got distracted and didn't finish it. So I'm glad you, you kind of summarized it for us, but uh, Nate's a good writer. He is uh, usually on, on, on target with the uh, storyline. So if, if he brought it up and really brought it to the forefront, then it's still being discussed. Are they basically looking into a control alt delete? Can we put it back the way it was? Um, I, I'm not the expert on this. My guess is they changed it because the racing wasn't great for NASCAR then either. That's so right. I don't think that that's not the answer. So I'm not sure what the answer would be. It may be more with the car, with the, the cup car of trying to do something different in that regard. You know, I, I guess if they do think about doing something, they're probably going to try to make it like Atlanta uh, and make it an, another Atlanta has become what another plate race. I know they don't have plates anymore, but it's become looking like Talladega and Daytona. And I fear if they do something, that would be in the area that they do, is to profile it in a way with the banking that they're running two by two by two the entire race. And I'm not sure that that's a a real good scenario uh, at this point either. Um, One of the other things, oh, I think Nathan Brown of the Star had this story with a conversation with the new track president from a few weeks ago, asking something that I think a lot of us wondered about. We've seen what Iowa has done, uh, mainly with high V banking about making it a festival. And his opinion was, and I'm, I'm not sure that he's wrong either is just, eh, we're not going to do that. It's still about racing. We're not sure that just having big concerts and I'm paraphrasing is the way to go. And I, I get that as well. And what wasn't really said is the Iowa people, someone is spending hundreds and actually I think it's fair to say millions of dollars on entertainment. You've got to sell an awful lot of tickets beyond what you're already selling to make that work. Now, they, they've figured out a package because they've got someone and it's I think it's working for High V in their marketing plan. So it's not just about tickets sold to make this work from a dollars and cents standpoint. But if you're the track promoter, unless you can find, um, boy, Bucky's, we need to be the Bucky's 500 or something like that. Somebody's got to pay for it. And if not, there's no way you can make your money back by hiring A-level talent and more than one of them for an event. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And, and I haven't been able to figure out how all this adds up even in Iowa. I know they've... We've heard from a lot of the fan bases that the seats nearest the concert stage have have a different price tag than a year before. 
Um, but obviously, and, I, and I'll say this, there's still a lot of great, there are no bad seats at Iowa Speedway. So you don't have to sit at the start finish line, which is closest to the, to the concerts to see unbelievable racing. But, uh, but the only other option is to raise the ticket prices in the areas where the concert is attractive, uh, from a fan base standpoint. So, you know, you're right there. I don't know how the business model works for Texas to make that that investment up unless a, a company comes through and says it's just going to be part of our marketing plan, as Hy-Vee has done in Iowa. And bottom line, it's going to be difficult to get a lot of people to come in for an 11 a.m. local event on Sunday morning. So this either needs to become a good television event or they have to work with the television partners and figure out a different time. Um but that's just being honest. I mean, I, I don't think we can expect a big crowd at 11 a.m. local. Well, I wish, you know, you can't do it, but I, I sure wish. You know, remember the days before social media when you could you could stage a race at, say, three o'clock and show it at six. You know what I mean? You could show it just a little bit later uh, and, you know, have this delay on a time, although at Texas's case, you know, you kind of need it to work the other way. It's it's having an event later in the day. But my point is, you know, social media has has taken that element out because nobody's going to do a tape delayed race these days. Uh, as as far as ratings, we didn't get to that last week. We won't won't hide from it. Uh, Adam Stern posted them eight hundred thirty thousand down from nine fifty four thousand last year. F one was down. This is the weekend before. In Australia, in their middle of the night race, down just a little bit. Uh, NASCAR NASCAR is down about five or six hundred thousand every week, including the most recent race. I saw the ratings that came out today, down about a half a million uh, for that particular race. Now, this one wasn't apples to apples because one was on FS1 and one was on Fox, so it's just getting more and more challenging to get people to tune in. NBC and IndyCar have had really good success with those noon Eastern time starts. So I was surprised at that number, especially with the social media buzz that got going with the entertainment factor of the race. You know, I I've always feel like I have a decent guesstimate on what it's going to be, but I would have guessed wrong on this one because I thought the product was good. I thought you had, there's always competition, but a little bit less than you have late in the afternoon. So I do not know what the answer is there. Agreed. I, I think I usually have a pretty strong pulse as well. Uh, but yeah, I missed that one as well. And, you know, from 830 to 954 is maybe four people <laughs> that, that have the diary or or are clicked in and don't show up. So it's it's a small amount of people that represent a lot of people, but they seem to be pretty good about figuring those things out. So we will continue and we'll hope for bigger and better this weekend. Here's the here's the bottom line, all this your fan i know we get into this as fans and media types um just enjoy the product product was awesome product was awesome who cares if everybody else is watching uh it's not going anywhere anytime soon i don't believe it's pretty healthy right now that's just kind of the way of the business at this point all right uh something to announce coming up for the month of may we'll get to in just a moment and life is so much more than a diagnosis It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Plenty more to come for Long Beach, Texas. Some Twitter questions and more on the way on Trackside. Hi, this is Elie Castroneves, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, coming up in the next hour, there are some things we didn't get to regarding Texas from last week. We'll talk more about that. And it's about time for May in Indianapolis. We'll talk about testing, where we're at for 34 and more, and events. So last week, we told you that the Prime 47 Burger Bash, benefiting the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center, is back. Same format as last year, Monday night, May 22nd, at the USAC building in Speedway, a couple of hours after that final practice, a couple, three hours. I don't think a May schedule is out, but I think, I suspect, they'll have a one to three-ish practice again. So that is on Monday, and it's free. However, if you want a little extra special treatment, meaning free food uh, from Prime 47, free drink from Indie Brew Bus, and a special section, $100 donation. Uh, and my Twitter, Kevin Lee 23 has that information. But I know not everyone is there on Monday that comes from out of town. We still don't quite have a full option for Friday night, but we're getting closer. So we've got something planned on Thursday night in partnership with uh, my friends at Race for RP, Relapsing Polychondritis in Autoimmunity Racing. This is a, a, a big level event. Uh, it is going to be a higher level price tag because we have invested in some entertainments and a show. Clayton Anderson is going to be playing. So a private concert with Clayton. He is a, I guess you would say, a pop country singer. He'll play a lot of covers of pop songs, uh, rock songs, country songs. He's had some success on the country charts. He'll be playing. Uh, I'll be there as soon as the NBC production meeting is over. I'll probably bring some of my NBC friends, and I can guarantee you that Derek Daly, the former Formula One and IndyCar driver, is going to be there as our host. We'll have some other former drivers there. You've got the collector cars. And, oh, by the way, it's at the Silo Auto Club, really cool place where people that have a lot of cool cars might store them in downtown Indianapolis Thursday evening, race weekend, the 25th, from 6 until 9 uh, we're going to have the simulator set up that people can drive on. Some other special guests will do a little roundtable. We'll have an auction with some cool items. $150 is the entry fee. The, the food and the drink is going to cover a lot of that. So you're going to get your money's worth out of that. And it's going to a good cause for Race for RP and Autoimmunity Racing. Tickets will be on sale very soon. So stand by. I'll have that information for you hopefully by next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can check raceforrp.org. And I think that's where it is going to end up. All right. Much more to come in the next hour. Stick with us. Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Simon Pagenaud, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, or thereabouts, we're a little bit late. Like normal, thanks for staying with us. Trackside, 93.5107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. By the way, we're still here on Tuesday, next week on the 18th, the following Tuesday, and then the first Monday in May, my understanding is, we'll be on nightly uh, weeknights from 7 until 8, every night leading up to the 107th Indianapolis 500. Um more on Texas that we haven't gotten to. We need to recircle back to this and uh, Twitter questions still coming in on this front from the pit lane contact 
between Alexander Rossi and Kyle Kirkwood uh, and and a few questions. And, and then I've heard some of the explanation from Rossi on his podcast with Hinch. Uh, Aneta tweets and says, I can't get beyond this horrible Rossi call in the pits. I just learned that they changed that call to an even more insane call, which now purely blames Rossi. Can you tell me if there's something personal, if there's a personal issue involving race control or if I'm missing something? No, well, if it's a personal issue, we would know about it, but I doubt it. I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think yeah. I, I can't answer why the call was changed. I, I don't know why it went from being unsafe release to essentially contact. That doesn't make sense to me. So we'll agreed. Have to ask about that. Agreed. And and, um, you know, I said last week's show how I felt about it, and I think you know, it, it is always the responsibility of the car leaving the pit box to make sure that there is room to exit. And if you are Kyle Kirkwood out in the fast lane, that's your safest place to be until you get to the pit box because there's cars in the middle lane who are transitioning back and forth. Plus, you're just extra close to the to the cars that are being pitted or are pitting. So, you know, I think unsafe release is the only thing I could come up with that makes sense. But, you know, they changed the call. Uh, Rossi today on the teleconference, IndyCar teleconference, had this to say, and I quote, nope, no change of opinion. I think hopefully we can, as a series, learn about communication and continuity just to take lessons from it. It's a shame to have situations exist and not really learn anything from it. It's something that we all talked about at length. At the end of the day, it's history now. We've just got to make sure going forward, everyone is on the same page, which I then end quote and say to you, I didn't learn anything from that. So other than he still doesn't think that the team was in the in the wrong. I got some more questions on this. Um, ultimately, it's a bang-bang call, and... I think they feel the same way that we do. When there's contact on pit lane, you have to make a call on someone. And if you have to make a call on someone, it has to be on the car exiting. But from talking to some people that have driven these cars before, one thought is, all right, even though Kyle Kirkwood did nothing technically wrong and there is no rule that says you need to be in the transition lane or anything like that, it's probably not a bad idea to protect yourself to signal your intention to start to get down there a little bit and just let it be known and help remind the outside front tire changer or the strategist on the pit box that just remind and just call attention to yourself, maybe a little bit of a swerve uh, in that case. But from the things that I've heard and I've had explained to me, I still don't know how this would be avoided in the exact same circumstance, barring Kyle Kirkwood deciding to hit the brakes, but he has the right away can come in. Now, now Rossi on the Hinch and Rossi podcast last week mentioned that that's why he said, I only give Kyle about 10% of the blame, but he did have a break and he could have chose to avoid that because he is the one that had a better chance of seeing what was coming than a driver exiting who has no chance of seeing. And he used the example that later in the race, the exact same thing happened with me and Joseph Newgarden. I saw him coming out, and I chose to slow down to not have contact. And I think my follow-up to Alexander at that point would have been, what would you have done if you were racing Newgarden for the win? 
Uh, I think that was a very smart play when you're six laps down. There's no reason to crash your race car when you are six laps down and impact who might win the race. But if they are one, two at that time, or if you're still in the mix, might be a different decision. Uh, might be, hey, it's my right away. It is his responsibility to stop. And if he doesn't, he's going to be penalized. So I may try to go to the driver's meeting at Long Beach. I do sometimes that the schedule allows because I want to hear what this discussion is with the drivers of understanding what is right and what is wrong and what will be penalized. And and I always stand up for mechanics because they have an incredible job and the yep. hours are unbelievable and the workload is beyond stressful on many levels. But I'm not blaming Rossi here. He can't see. He cannot make that decision on when to stop and when to go. He's watching a mechanic or a crew member or listening to someone say, go. And when when he's told to go, whether audio or visually, he goes. And, you know, so I'm not putting this on Rossi at all, but it's a team sport. And and so therefore they're they're lumped together, rightfully so. Uh, but you know, and I don't know who makes his call to go, go, go. I don't know if that's a call from the pit stand or is that just his 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 outside front tire changer? I don't know. And by the way, the reason we still bring this up and why I think it's important, it's not about the penalty. Yes, it is about the penalty if you're the one being penalized, but this is about safety. And the reason why I think it needs to be discussed more of whether just being a bang-bang call and somebody's going to get the penalty – now, let's see what we can do to try to avoid uh, somebody's dad or mom being run over on pit lane, because that can be really, really bad. And what I'm getting out of hearing everyone from this is, eh, you know, it's just one of them things that couldn't be avoided. I'm not sure that that's really acceptable in this case. So we need to do what we can to help that outside front tire changer and to help the strategist on the box Yes, it is their responsibility to know every single car that's in front of them, but let's also understand what's going on in their world and the fact that three cars often look identical and split-second things happen. Let's do something by mandating that you get in. Even that, that's hard, too, because what if there's a car there? Transition lane, in many ways, the middle lane, is for cars exiting to be able to get out and have room. But... You know, maybe you should, if there's no one in next to you, you need to dip your left wheels, in this case, below the line, and that signals an intention. Kind of like as a courtesy at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, when you're on the backstretch, if you're going to pit that time by, you dip your, low, your wheels below the line. Agreed. So let everybody know behind you, I'm going to slow down really soon. You need to be aware. I also like the idea, and we discussed this last week, I don't know how practical and I don't know the implications, so I say this in a very naive way, but if there is some way to activate a light that would show you I've stopped or I haven't stopped, and whether it's green or red or or something that would, would allow for... Yeah, but we can't get those things to work. I mean, no, yeah, I understand. Yes, there would be a way, but they, they couldn't get the... Uh... The, the things to work on the side. So that's not going to be, you can't count on that. No, you can't count on it, we, but we couldn't get the positions of the cars. 
but that shouldn't deter you from working toward a solution. That's my point. That that should be efforted. Yes. Um, but that's just a sense of frustration that the fans love that so much and it's been given up on because it just didn't work well enough and easy for me to say because I can't even hook up the television. So for, for me to say that why can't we get this figured out is uh, uh, yes a bit alarming. Um, but that'd be awesome. That would be awesome that there was some sort of a flashing light or some indicator that shows they've already completed their pit or they still need to pit. Something like that would go a long way towards helping that situation. So we'll, uh, I guess, hope for the best moving forward unless we get some other answers on that front. Well, it, become, uh, it becomes an issue because Long Beach is crowded, too. You know, Long yeah. Beach is is well, much more crowded, much more crowded and a curved pit lane and a banked pit lane. So honestly, your visibility from some of the pit boxes doesn't really allow you to see around the corner to see who's coming. So in some cases, it's even a worse of a problem than Texas, which is as flat as the state of Texas. I mean, pit road at Texas... You can see everybody. I mean, but, you know, it doesn't mean you can discern your point about cars all being the same color. <laughs> we got three pink cars. That's that's a, that's adds to the difficulty. One thing I want to go back to, I touched on last hour, the I think we were all a little bit disappointed when we saw the ratings with Texas. If you're into that, here here's a thought I had. How much does this play into things? Because I think we were surprised that they weren't better considering the quality of the race we didn't think there was huge competition does it impact things if somebody flips on a casual viewer flips on and sees nothing but empty grandstands and the first reaction would be well this can't be very big this is like watching um one of these minor league football things this isn't the nfl this isn't a big deal or there would be someone there um because we hear so much how everyone loves oval racing compared to street racing and road course racing but parades sometimes for street races get better ratings than really entertaining oval races and i wonder that if not obviously it's not in everything but if some situations a casual fan is flipping through the channels and they look at something like that. Oh, it must not be a big deal because there's nobody there. Why am I going to sit here and watch? I, I just I, I don't agree with that, at least from my perspective. And, I, and I'll take this to college football. I don't I, I'm as just as interested. I'm let's put it this way. I'm just as likely to stay with a college football game that might be lower division one because the action looks good than I am because I'm going to watch LSU and Tennessee play with capacity crowds. I mean, there are games which, you know, you get LSU and Alabama. I'm going to watch it because it's LSU and Alabama, not because the house is full. And and kind of the same thing, you, you might turn on a Mid-American Conference game and see guys throwing it all over the yard, and you think, this is fun. I'm going to stick with it. You know, I, I, I also use the truck race the other night, uh, I was I had the TV in the house to myself Saturday and Sunday due to reasons that um, we talked about at the top of the show. My wife was gone, and I watched that truck race on the dirt. Found it very interesting, 
And then I happened to notice just because I'm in the business, there wasn't anybody there. It was cold and it was a truck race. That's also good directing. <laughs> good directing is trying to camouflage the empty stands. So, so I watched the Texas race, went back and watched it. They did a lot of good camouflaging. I didn't see a lot of instances. I think where for they, most people, they agree with you, but I, I think that impacts it. There's a you know, little of that, I suppose. 10, 15%, something like that. It's why we sell big events. It, it, it People tend to gravitate toward big events, and when they see emptiness, so I think that's all part of the equation when Penske Entertainment is deciding what venues do we want to have races at, um, it's not just about what the sanctioning fee is and what television rating is going to be. Uh, it, it's well, one, the television rating, I think, is somewhat impacted on the crowd. And you're also you're trying to make yourself look good. And do you look big time when you run in front of empty stands? So looking big time to me is only important not only, but largely and predominantly important relative to the people who are spending the money on the sponsorships. If that person doesn't look at it and say, this is a big deal, then that's a problem. But that's I don't why I think it matters. It does to those people. I think it does to those people. But I don't think it does if I'm a casual fan in, you know, Mooresville, North Carolina, watching an IndyCar race. I don't think it matters to that person. Okay. I will partially disagree that it matters to some and it it impacts things. And it's one of 15 or 20 things. It's not the thing. It's one and it all adds up. So with that. You won't ahead. see many people, by the way, in the grandstands at Long Beach because it's difficult to film the people in the grandstands. I mean, you're okay, you'll zooming see 50, around. people. You won't know that there are 50 to, if there are 50, you'll 60, see people everywhere you look, you'll see people everywhere you look. But it won't, my point is you won't see the magnitude of the people that are there. That's what I'm. It's because the cars are zooming around a racetrack. They can't see people, all those people that are there. People are always impressed with how many people are actually at Long Beach compared to what they see on television. Always good to have competition for more races. Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal this week wrote that IndyCar remains in talks with state and local leaders in Wisconsin and Milwaukee about possibly bringing a race back to Milwaukee Mile, per people familiar. I would caution this. I'd be surprised. I mean, it could be added. I, I know there are some people that think they're headed to 20 races really soon, but uh, some of those people I don't think are Roger Penske and Mark Miles has told us that as well. Uh, so the the 20 race crowd is not the, the one making the decision. By the way, I am all for 20 races, but I don't have a say on this either. So I, I don't know what the likelihood is. Um, I could see this as being insurance for Texas to make sure that there's another oval because while Texas, we feel, is better, and I think it's a multi-year contract, and it would be safe for next year unless they tear down the track um, and, and reconfigure it, I don't know where that fits in. I hope it does. I really hope it does. Full honesty, though, we have to ask ourselves, it's been tried by a couple of different people in recent years. Why is it going to be better this time? 
And at times it was tried when it wasn't even in competition with Road America, when there was not a Road America race, I think at least in one of those generations. So I hope, but I'm not ready to say I guarantee that it's going to happen yet. I agree. Uh, I think a race in Argentina has got more likely to to come to fruition than Milwaukee. Much as I hate to say that, I think the the energy in Argentina and maybe to a lesser extent Mexico, I think that's real. I think and I think there will be if there's funding, I think those will happen. Now there are some things that can change that. If John Menard says, "I want us to have a race in Milwaukee and it's the Menards 250." Then you're going to have a race in Milwaukee. You know, if you find a high V that says, Agreed. I am going to back this. So those are the things that we do not know. Maybe that's already been solidified and then it will happen. And then a race will be added onto the schedule because it will be a solid event and it won't be dependent on one falling off the schedule. Um, but those are the things that we really can't predict. It needs to make sense from a business standpoint for it to happen. Uh, Indianapolis 500, a little bit of what we know at this point. I think Racer.com wrote uh, last week, and I'm going to try to read this too, of how it was worded. But uh, along the lines of, of what I have said recently, and I know others have said and think, I feel pretty good about a 34th. I'm, I'm hearing too much smoke about Able Motorsports, Bill Abel, whose son Jacob is having a very, well, it's, We've only had one race. Has had a very good weekend in Indy Next this year, in his second year, and, and is looking like, hey, he might be ready to move up to IndyCar by next year. They may be willing to partner in a program for this year's Indianapolis 500 with someone else. And we've kind of connected some teams there. Well, Marshall went ahead and wrote it that that R.C. Enerson is the one that that seems likely. I want to read how he wrote it. Although both parties were unavailable for comment, the Able Motorsports Indy Next team and the father and son pairing of Neil and R.C. Enerson are understood to be working together to give Enerson another shot at making the field in a Chevy-powered car. I uh, I sent a note to Neil Enerson and just said, I think I know some things. I'm offering you a platform if you would like to confirm anything regarding you and or your son and the race cars that you own for Indianapolis. And it was just kind of a smiley face. And I don't know what you're talking about. So there's no comment on on that front. So there's no confirm or deny. And I have no inside information. I'm not talked to the Enersons about this in six months about what their plans are. But it makes a lot of sense. And I hope that happens. I did speak to Jacob Abel today for a story on, on IndyNext.com. And I said, look, I'm not going to ask you about the 2023 Indianapolis 500, but I can tell that you're growing and that the NTT IndyCar series is your goal moving forward. And he said, look, we're a small team, but we're growing fast and we want to be like Hunkos and Meyer Shank were just a couple years ago. And I think you'll see us NTT IndyCar series, obviously uh, in the next couple of years. So I think it'll be, you know, we're a small team now, but you won't think about us, uh, being so small here in the years to come, but I'm focused. He said, you know, it won't, whatever we're talking about doesn't impact our, our Indy next program. I've got a great opportunity here and we're going to continue down that path toward a championship in, in this series. It's a really good program over there. John Brunner is the, yeah. the team manager. The general manager of that team has been around motorsport. Uh, he ran the Bellardi operation in Indy lights and is well regarded and is someone very capable to move up to the next level 
as well. I, I don't know if they if the plans are to continue the Indy Next program in tandem or if they would shift everything or not. But there's one. The 35th, I don't know. I, I'm going to say that's 50-50 at this point. I think as much as I hear that was going to happen, uh, I think you start to look at the math of that. And I saw, you know, I think the only place it's coming from is is Foyt. And I saw Larry's quote that said, we're not planning on it. And I know he said that before in the past and ends up doing it. So someone is going to have to overpay, in my opinion, to make that happen. It is not in Larry and A.J. Foyt's racing's best interest to pull out a third car unless it is. So say the asking price is going to cost us a million dollars to break even. If I'm Larry, I don't think that does me any good to break even. I, I I need to make money off of this because I don't know that there's anyone out there in the car that we can provide and the personnel that's still available that is going to be super additive to our program right now and is going to make our – maybe I'm forgetting someone, but I, I'm not hearing the drivers that are veteran drivers. Maybe if it's J.R. Hildebrand, maybe that impacts things a little bit because J.R. would be additive but I'm not sure that that's the path it's headed. Otherwise, I think from their standpoint, it needs to be a money-making venture. Otherwise, or it may be the Speedway saying, we'd really like to have 35 cars. Can you do us a solid out of this? You're not going to lose money. If we can help in any way of providing some more partners, that's what I think makes that happen. And boy, would I love to see 35 because I've said ad nauseum 34 does not excite me as much. I don't enjoy going down and talking to that one lone person who is on the brink of is on the way to missing the race. Agreed. I want there to be competition. Especially this is a factor when you know it's conceivable given a rookie driver that uh Foyt's car could be in that last 10, so to speak, in competing yeah. for a spot in the race. Bumping themselves yeah. potentially. Uh one of the teams that we're frankly a little bit worried about. Got some extra oval testing time. Texas did not go well for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Uh, we have no idea what the speeds were like or what the times. The report on Linus Lundquist was good. By the way, Linus is going to run or is going to test for Andretti in the rookie Formula E test. So that's good for him to continue to make some connections. But it sounds like it went well for him. And Catherine Legg also got a chance to get in the car. So that's huge for Catherine to be. A little step further when she gets on track next week at IMS. And for Lundquist, hey, he's now crossed that off. If something were to happen and he's needed, he's now, I would assume, approved to go get in the car, still go through the rookie process, but it's a step in the right direction for him. Yeah, I'm not hearing Linus being named to one of those possible entries, but you never know. You're right. He's at least crossed that bridge and that will get him you know, at least a head start toward an Indy 500 deal or another oval race later in the season if it so becomes available. And I think you always want to be available as a reserve. I don't yeah. see that either for him being named anything, but that's where things stand. Speaking of the Foy team, uh, a couple of things to mention. Uh, this has been since our last show. Unfortunately, AJ lost his wife. Yeah, Lucy. Lucy was, you know, she hid in the in the in the shadows of the race team. Didn't get a lot of attention. Didn't show up in a lot of photographs. In fact, we had to look a little bit for photographs of her because she's just so infrequent in them. But uh, she's been the rock, uh, not only of AJ's career, both as a driver and as a team owner. Also, by the way, his rehabilitation from a lot of injuries over the years. 
but also obviously with with Larry and the team and and uh, Anthony, her her grandson. Uh, there's been a lot of 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 connections that uh, she's been part of, and 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 obviously, as you know, uh, when you have a spouse that's that's helpful to the program and contributing. Uh, you know, it makes, it makes everything flow better at home. And so uh, I, I'm, I, you know, given my situation the last couple months with losing family members, I can only imagine what it was like for, for the family of the Foyt family to lose Lucy. Also, I want to mention Bob Laycock, who was a regular, I'm told of this program. I'm friends with uh, his sons, Josh and, and Rob, and a lot of people, race fans will recognize the Laycock family. So this is Bob Laycock Jr., who passed away at the age of 86. His dad, uh, Bob Sr., was the historian of the track before Donald Davidson going way back in the day. He was the press room director. uh, And his son, Bob, who just passed, worked for USAC for many, many years and had been to uh, 77 straight Indy 500s is what I'm told. So our, our thoughts are with the Laycock family. Yeah, Bob Jr. was very young looking too. I would when you said his age, I'm surprised. I would have said eighty six, yeah. No, yeah. I would not have said that at all. I might have said seventy six. So yeah. yeah, our, our uh I know it's painful and and uh Josh and, and Rob really were were there for their dad and and uh be thinking about him all the time. All right, we'll get into what we missed and wrap things up coming up in just a moment. Hi, this is Joseph New. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Garden, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Trackside continues, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. Of course, we've got IndyCar at Long Beach this weekend. And then closer to home, as we get set for the month of May in Indianapolis, hey, let's get a warm-up with one of the classics. It's back, so just kind of wanted to tip everyone off to this. The weekend after next, Sunday, April 23rd, the Hoosier 100 is back, and it's coming to IRP, the 70th edition, will be at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park with USAC Silver Crown cars Sunday the 23rd. Gates open at 10, qualifying at noon. The race is at 2 o'clock. This is a, a revival of that historic race that was at the Indiana State Fairgrounds uh, for so many years, most recently in 2020 when Kyle Larson won it. Seven Indy 500 winners have won that event. And to talk about that and, and quite a few other things, joining us now is the most recent winner of the Chili Bowl. He's a former... USAC National Midget Champion. He has won in ARCA. He's almost won in trucks. Logan CV is with us. Logan, it's nice to talk with you. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm, uh, you know, it's nice to be on here and uh, I'm doing good. So uh, it's going to be a good time. You got a busy schedule this year running uh, for, for the Triple Crown in USAC. And we'll get to all that and, and talk about NASCAR and some other things in a moment. But uh, unfortunately, as, as many race fans know, we got really sad news and, and you were there. I'm sorry to say for Justin Owen, a sprint car veteran, track champion at Lawrenceburg. He'd done some USAC national races as well, succumbed to injuries uh, during qualifying over the weekend, Saturday night at Lawrenceburg in the sprint car race uh, for USAC. Uh, I know you just had a few things you wanted to say before we get started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, um, you know, unfortunately, a thing that, um, you know, occasionally happens in our in our sport and 
Um, hasn't happened in quite a while, but you know, like I said, unfortunately it, it, it does happen. And um, yeah, just, you know, you flip at the wrong time at the wrong place, you know, and, and hit the wall at, at the wrong direction. And, and um, you know, sometimes things are, you know, just unavoidable and um, yeah, super, super unfortunate and um, super tragic really for, for Justin, who was, who's was young. And um, I didn't get to race against him, you know, a whole, a whole lot, but, um, you know, a few local races at Indiana or at Lawrenceburg I raced and, uh, he'd ran a handful of USAC races with us. So, um, yeah, definitely somebody I'd, I'd raced with and, and, uh, really close in age to me and, you know, kind of, um, been racing sprint cars for a while and, um, you know, just a little family program that they had and, and they were doing really well with it. And, um, yeah, just super, super tragic for, um, for them. And, um, just really thinking about the whole Owen family. Yep, as we all are, and there's no easy transition. But I, I will say this: it was nice to see Christopher Bell, who won the Cup race on the dirt at Bristol, uh, another dirt racer on Sunday night, dedicate his win to uh, Justin Owen and his family. Maybe that's how we'll shift: is talk about your experience running stock cars. When and, and I think the only truck race you ran was at Eldora in Kyle Busch's truck. And you were in position to win that one. You've won on the dirt in Arca. When you watch those, are you thinking, man, I just want another chance. I know I can get that done. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. There's, there's days when, you know, you watch like just watch the races this weekend and at Eldora and, um, yeah, to look back and, you know, in 2018 and, and 19, when I was with Toyota, I got to run some stock car stuff on dirt. And like you said, Eldora with the trucks and, um, ran pretty well there. And then, you know, won an Arca race and ran pretty well on the dirt miles. So, um, yeah, they're definitely fun to drive on dirt. And, you know, like I said, every time I watch them, I, um, you know, I, I look back and remember how much fun I did have at Eldora and on the dirt miles and, and that sort of thing. And, um, definitely wouldn't, wouldn't mind getting another shot at something like that. Cause I did have fun and, um, you know, had quite a bit of success, but, um, it's just such a different avenue of racing and so, so hard to get into. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I love sprint car racing. I don't have any problems racing sprint cars and, and midgets and, and silver crown and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that that style of racing, but uh, yeah, I really I love what I'm doing also. Kyle Larson is uh, successful enough that he can be pretty blunt and honest, and his opinion is basically, these cars are not made for this. If we're going to race on dirt, let's run a Silver Crown car or something else that, that is more applicable, and let's run on pavement. We've got a perfectly good racetrack. What is the difference? What is the challenge of, of running a stock car or a truck on dirt? Yeah, I, I would say for the most part, I, I agree with them. I think they have to make so many changes to the stock cars and it takes them, you know, this year was probably the first year they had a, a truly successful race and um, they just have to make so many changes to the track and, and to the cars. And it's just so much work to, to go around. And, and honestly, the crew guys and, and the owners really don't enjoy it that much. Um, a lot of the drivers don't enjoy it. Some of them do, some don't. Um, the cars just aren't, like I said, they just aren't really made to race on dirt. They, they don't drive that good on dirt. Um, you can't really run them very hard. You kind of are always on the edge of crashing. You know, you see a lot of <laughs> some of the best drivers in the world, Kyle Busch and these guys just going out there and crashing. Kyle's been racing dirt for the last couple of years, kind of, I don't know if it's just because he enjoys it or because he knows he has to do it on the schedule. So hmm. he's been racing a little bit of dirt stuff. Um, but yeah, those cars just aren't, aren't made for dirt. I don't know. Um, their tires seem to be getting better and they seem to be making them better. Like I said, this race at Bristol, I thought was, was really, really good actually. And the track was good. And, 
uh, it seems like they're putting all the pieces together, but, um, you know, they've been trying it under for quite a few years and, and, uh, I don't know if failing is the right word, but it hasn't been the same <laughs> outcome. And they finally got it to where it's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I agree with Kyle. I think still I think a normal dirt car would be a, a more entertaining race. And, and to see those guys get outside of their comfort zone a little bit and jump, yep. into, jump into a real dirt car. Logan Seavey is joining us. He's from uh, Sutter, California, but now lives here in the Indianapolis area. And one of the teams he'll drive for this year is another local team. My friend Brent Cox, uh, Abacus Racing. You'll be in his number 57 midget starting uh, the Friday after next, April 21st. Their season kicks off at Kokomo. And they're also going to be at the Carbonite Classic at uh, Raceway Park and doing the pavement series there as well. But but first up uh, that, that we want to talk about locally is the Hoosier 100 coming back on Sunday, April 23rd at Raceway Park. Uh, how much experience did you have in the previous version at the fairgrounds? Yeah, so the only uh, the first year I raced Silver Crown was 2020. So the only time I got to run it was the very last race at the fairgrounds. Okay. Um, and we were good. Um, that was our first year as a team with Rice Motorsports. And, um, and we kind of were just getting our feet wet in it. But we um, we were really good there. We started on the front row and we finished third and, um, you know, for us at the time, I think that was one of our first or second races, uh, with that car and, uh, to go to the Hoosier hundred, which is obviously a, a really big deal in, in Indianapolis or in Indiana, um, silver crown racing, um, to go there and get on the podium for what we thought would be the last one ever, um, was really, really cool. So now that, uh, you know, Casey Kohler and, uh, IRP are bringing it back, uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm not necessarily a, a pavement expert, but we're getting better at it. I've been kind of forced to get better over the last couple of years and uh, beginning to enjoy that. And I definitely enjoy the longer races. So the fact that it's a uh, hundred miles on pavement is uh, hopefully going to, um, you know, lean into my direction a little bit and give me a little bit of an advantage. 146 laps. That's going in circles for a long time. Uh, you know, we, we see the IndyCar guys talk about when they first time they get out at a place like Texas, they're a little bit dizzy if you run a long green flag stint, what's the challenge? It's it's not a tiny track. You run smaller tracks than that. But what what is the physicality involved running a .686 mile track in circles for a long time with no break? Yeah, it uh, it definitely takes a toll on you. It's a uh, it's physical after a while. You know, after running a few laps, maybe not the most physical thing, but when you run a 50, 60, 70 lap run in a row and um, you know, you don't get much time to, to think or breathe or, or whatnot. You have to, you know, do your best to stay calm and, and focus on really focus on your breathing and, um, you know, your cardio has got to be really good. And, um, personally I bring a drink bottle in there. So I, you know, hydration is huge for me. I'm pretty big on hydration. So I hydrate pretty well before the race and after the race, but I also put a bottle in the car so I can, uh, drink while I'm racing or under a caution or something like that. So, um, yeah, especially for, a, you know, a much longer pavement race than we've ever ran. Uh, I plan on having a pretty good sized drink bottle in there. And, um, you know, I think we have a halfway break and something like that, but, or yeah, I believe it's a halfway break, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely physical. I mean, you'll see guys get out and they'll be sweating and tired and wore out, but, um, yeah, that's kind of another aspect of silver crown race and they're all long races and, um, not only does your car have to make it to the end, but so does the driver. You're too young to to remember watching Thursday night and Saturday night thunder on ESPN at IRP and other places. It's still one of the 
the landmark venues in motorsport, but do you ever go back and watch some of those those old things? And just what, what's the significance of being able to race there pretty consistently throughout the year? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did. I've w- definitely watched those races. I obviously didn't watch them live or anything like that, but <laughs> I definitely went back and watched and and um, seen a lot of videos from IRP. I was obviously, um, you know, the kind of home of uh, racing around here at the time. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see how how big it was at one point, and now that they're really doing a good job at bringing it back. And pavement racing is finally kind of coming back a little bit. And um, like I said, not my specialty, but I'm um, learning to enjoy it and learning to love it and um, really am enjoying getting getting better at it because I really was pretty bad when I first started. And uh, the last race IRP uh, of 2022, we ran really well, actually. So, um, yeah, now I think we're all looking forward to going pavement racing and uh, really looking forward to get back to IRP. Logan Seavey is joining us. Let's shift to the Chili Bowl. You mentioned uh, you're, you're getting better at pavement. You're pretty good at dirt, and you won the biggest dirt race there is, I think, in the Chili Bowl. What was the significance of that? What kind of emotions did you have after finishing that off? Yeah, I mean, that's, for me, the biggest race I have ever raced in. You know, it's like winning the Super Bowl for a football player or something like that. So it's um, it's pretty pretty huge for me. You know, I don't – the only race I would think that would be bigger than that in, in the U.S. for dirt racing would be – uh, Knoxville probably. And okay. uh, I have raced Knoxville. So, um, uh, chili bowl is definitely the biggest. And, uh, yeah, we showed up there this year with, with Kevin Swindell and he built a, a brand new car and, um, yeah, we showed up there and didn't really know what to expect or, you know, what our goals were, but, you know, we expected to, to run well and, uh, we kind of unloaded out of the trailer and we were really, really fast right away. So, um, that was really cool to bring a to bring a new car and to show up and and Kevin's first real try as a as a car owner and uh, to win was pretty pretty crazy. And for those that that don't know, Kevin won what four straight before he had really significant injuries that severely impacted his mobility about seven or eight years ago. So what did that mean to be able to get him back to victory lane? I know it's not the the way he's used to, but I'm sure that was still really special. Yeah. Yeah. That's obviously a, a big race for him. And like you said, he is one of the most successful guys in, in that building racing midgets and uh, to, to not be able to race anymore. I'm sure it's is hard for him, but um, <clears throat> he's kind of been a part of the 39 car um, since, since his crash and had a few good years. Um, but mostly, honestly, they kind of struggled a little bit. Even I struggled a few times with them in the car. And uh, like I said, this year he decided to do his own thing and build his own car and kind of, have a little bit more control over everything and uh, clearly worked out for him. I'm sure that was next to winning, probably one of the most, you know, satisfying things he's, he's done in in quite a while. So um, yeah, I mean, just as cool for me to, to not only win, but to do it like that with him and and his first try was, was cool. And yeah, to now have a, have a driller and have the name up on the banner there next year is going to be pretty cool. So you already had a, a championship in midgets. Now you've got the golden driller. Makes it a little bit easier to get hired. And you got at least three jobs this year. What's the challenge of running all three national series? Um, sometimes the tra- the challenge is the travel. I mean, there's some races that uh, that you gotta you know be in Wisconsin one day and then ohio the next or you know wherever you gotta go i think we have a few times or this year we have one day where we race the silver crown car and the midget on the same day 
So we have a hundred laps on a dirt mile and then we go over to Macon, Illinois and, and race the midget. Um, yeah, it's pretty busy. I think last year we did Wisconsin to Illinois, we ran at Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. And then we went down to, to Illinois for a dirt mile the next morning. Uh, and the dirt miles are, you know, you got to be there at eight or nine in the morning and you're racing, you're racing in Wisconsin till, you know, 11 o'clock at night. And then you got a four or five hour drive overnight and you don't get there till four or five in the morning. You got to be at the track at eight or nine. It's pretty, it's pretty tough at times, but, um, but really, I mean, overall, I mean, that's only once or twice a year, two, three times a year, we got to do something like that. But, um, really it's just the overall schedule racing, you know, 90 to a hundred times and just being busy all the time, traveling all the time, always on the road. Uh, last year I had a, <clears throat> a merchandise van I drove around and, um, you know, so all the miles I'm logging them myself and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's grueling, but it's, uh, definitely a good time to race that much. So you're selling merch at events. Do you sell online as well? And if so, give, give it a plug. Yeah. Yeah. We have, like I said, I have a, we have a merchandise, uh, this year we, we, um, went in with a trailer or a, a friend of ours got a trailer. So we're sharing a trailer this year, but, um, yeah, I drove my van around last year all year and, um, you know, parked in the midway at all the events and stuff like that. So I, definitely every race we have some sort of merchandise, um, set up out there in the midway. And then, uh, yeah, I do sell online also at, uh, just logancv.com. Just uh, pretty simple there, logancv.com and have all my merchandise up there also. All right. Logan CV in the Indianapolis area. Now he's from California and he is going to be busy this year and you can see him in Indianapolis. The Hoosier hundred it's at Lucas oil, Indianapolis raceway park, the Sunday after next Sunday, April 23rd, you can go to the website Get your tickets in advance there. Uh, I may see you there. I'll definitely see you at uh, Carb Night at Raceway Park as well. It's nice to talk with you, Logan. Good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Stay with us. We'll see what we missed and more to come in a moment. Trackside, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Graham Ray. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, final segment. Still some time to chat in this segment, too, and answer a few questions from Don. What veterans will be required to do a fresher at the open test? Sato ran all ovals last year, so he should be okay. But guys like TK and Wilson have been driven since last year. Also assume RHR needs to do it as well. And, of course, Catherine Legg. Yep, that's it. Uh, and, and then there are a few others. So I did a quick list of the lists uh, of, of the people that will be doing the rookie uh, and the refresher. So true rookies, Stingray Rob, Benjamin Peterson, Augustine Canapino. And by the way, for those uh, that joined us late, this is for the IMS test next Thursday, the 20th, which will start at 11 a.m. First couple of hours for veterans. The next two hours, one to three rookies and veterans that need a refresher. And it's a pretty decent crowd. And then everybody three to six. And then time on Friday from 10 until four and on Peacock. So Stingray, Peterson, Canapino, the three true rookies, veteran refreshers, Catherine Legg, Stefan Wilson, Tony Canon, Marco Andretti, Ryan Hunter Ray. And generally the designation is if you didn't do 
the most recent oval race. So I believe that would say that Takuma Sato, even though he's not full-time, would not need to do it. He did all the races last year and has done the most oval race. And I think the same would apply for Ed Carpenter. I don't believe he would be required to do this. I'll double-check on that, but Ed has done all the oval races, so I don't know why he would. And if anyone new comes around that is not in the normal group added, uh, then they would be in this situation too. So if the R.C. Anderson things comes together, if Simona Di Silvestro or J.R. Hildebrand or someone else finds a spot, uh, they would be required if, if indeed they get there next week. And something that hasn't been announced yet, maybe iffy, I hope. I hope if there's a 34th and or a 35th, they get to do the two-day tests next week. Other questions. Paul J. Ingram, 56, uh, retweeted this. He's actually answering something from Connor, who posted something, uh, I think, about returning to Vegas. And Paul's response was, the circumstances at Las Vegas in 11 were a perfect storm of horrible decisions forced on a driver field fighting for their sport and livelihood those circumstances will never happen again once they answer the f1 greatest spectacle race racing spectacle go back to the vegas oval i um i'm still not super interested in going i i get it and your points could be argued but let's just look at it from the business standpoints what is going to be significantly different from a crowd aspect than it was in 2011? They worked super hard on that, and there was not much of a crowd there. And it is not going to be the same spectacle. It's outside of town. It's not the same as what Formula One is doing or what you can do at a street race. So in, in some ways, the Formula One aspect lessens any interest in going back there because, unfortunately, it is going to pale in comparison. Never say never, but Vegas is not happening anytime soon. I don't believe on that oval for IndyCar, and it's not necessarily just because of our uh, feeling of being uncomfortable going back there. Uh, also, oh, some some nice picks from Paul Ingram about what they're doing. They've got the bridge up at uh, Laguna Seca. Paving will have to wait until after the IMSA race. Uh, that'll be in May, and that should be a fresh surface when IndyCar gets there. John Day, 81 Indy. Although I've never been to a street race, I can imagine with all the extra events going on besides the race, it sounds like Long Beach has the atmosphere of a county fair on steroids. I think that is what attracts so many people as opposed to an oval. And then my Twitter blew up a little bit because everyone argued about latency when uh, Matt Archuleta posted that uh, I mentioned that the, the test is going to be on Peacock. Third world problems. Yes, we'd ever love everything to be exactly the way we want it, but uh, sometimes it's hard to make things instantaneous. I'm glad that we have an option to display this information. Mike Wyckoff, anything going on with Sage Karam, J.R. Hildebrand with a ride for the 500? Not that I'm aware of, but you never know. You never know. I'm sure they're still trying. Thanks. We're out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday at 7 here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.